right, everyone, welcome back to another ESL podcast. Welcome back to a Be Live TV. I do, first and foremost, I will apologize for the connection and whatnot uh, because it's a little bit foggy, but I got Nathan Lawler, man. Nathan, he's come on to my podcast before. Um, this is the first time I'm doing Be Live or a live, uh, what is it, a simultaneous uh, video with someone else on my Facebook page. So, Nathan, man. Much appreciation for coming on again, man. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me, in fact. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's the beginning of the year. Uh, again, we're in full swing and everything. But for everyone who does not know you on my Facebook page, uh, give a brief introduction of who you are. Sure. Uh, my name is Nathan Lawler. I'm originally from a city called Newburyport, Massachusetts, which is about, I don't know, about 30 minutes north of Boston. Um, I'm a career teacher. Uh, actually, for the last nine years, I've lived and worked in Kazakhstan. I now consider Kazakhstan my home. I was uh, deputy principal of the Nazarbayev Intellectual School, which is the presidential school here in Kazakhstan for six years. And then I've worked uh, two years at a language center and for the past year, I've been doing kind of my own thing, uh, myself and my co-owner, Nurgle. Um, we've run the Center for Academic and Professional English in October, Kazakhstan. That's awesome. So, guys, if you guys don't know where Kazakhstan is, you'll have to open it up. But it's just like it's right below Russia and whatnot. It's, it's pinned between quite a few countries and whatnot. But how cold is it out there right now? It's pretty chilly. Yeah, it's funny. Um, being from the U.S. for many years, my brain worked in Fahrenheit. Now I don't know Fahrenheit anymore after nine years here. Right. So we're about, today I think it's about minus 12 degrees Celsius. So that's our typical winters, minus 12, minus 15. It's chilly, but what's cool is that people just kind of get on with it. You know, it, it's, it, it doesn't matter how cold it is, it matters what you wear. So everybody's fine here. Touche, touche, yeah. <laughs> what matters is what you wear, so I like that one. All right, so uh, anyways, Nathan, man, the topic for today, we had a nice little discussion. We talked about the basics of IELTS writing. Now, there are a lot of people on your Facebook page or over there in Cape and out there in October, people who are listening to me around the world. Um, people have problems with IELTS writing, but there is a... Let's just say a problem that has been happening for quite some time, I'm guessing, out there. Uh, and that's basically the usage of big words. So first, let's talk about things. Yeah, let's talk about that first. And then we'll get into the basics of, like, subject-verb agreements and whatnot. But, um, yeah, you've mentioned that, you know, sure. the big words and whatnot. So, yeah, let us in on that. Yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting because what I'm about to talk about is I'm sure it's something you faced I have to give a lot of credit to a woman named Pauline Cullen, who's actually a IELTS writer, a materials writer for Cambridge. Um, I think she does her own thing now, but she kind of explained what I had been feeling for five or six years in her recent books. And it was the, it's like writing and then using random big words in their essay, usually out of context, usually not properly conveying the message, and then coming to me and saying, Mr. Nathan, why did I get a five? I used this big word. Um, and a lot of that, I guess, has to do with like the IELTS industry, this industry that's grown up around the IELTS, 
where some people maybe teach kids five or six big words and think that's teaching. Um, so really, and it's been kind of systemic that in Kazakhstan and at my former school, and now we've had to really just drill into kids, hey, we gotta go back to basics. It doesn't matter that you're using some six syllable word if you're forgetting the verb to be, <laughs> you know? So, you know, I'll, I'll see, I read an essay just the other day where the, the young lady did an excellent job, but she kept saying equipments, equipments, you know? So for me, it's really been a fight just to go back to basics. Forget about, you know, big words out of context and just remember that you don't skip the verb to be in passive voice or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so when it says going back to – when you say go back to basics and whatnot, where where – should be the beginning for a lot of people to start. Okay, so ignore all the big words and whatnot. Honestly, that annoys me in everyday, what is it, everyday speaking and whatnot. There are a lot of, like, politicians and all these people that use these big words. And I'm like, listen, it's just making you, it, it sounds like you're covering up some truth. So stop using those big words because no one cares, you know. But um, if we drop that and we go back to basics, what are what are some things that you implement for some of your students in terms of, yeah, uh, the basics in terms of writing. Yeah, one of the things I do is I do a lot of peer editing. I do a lot of self-editing. Um, I think people are always asking a teacher to check their essays. Um, one of the things I do when a student has given me an essay, I say, read it again. Are there any mistakes? And they will always find miss the verb to be. They will always find that you know, uh, the, the verb to be is... They've missed subject-verb agreement. They will find at least two or three times in an essay that they said advices, equipments, musics. Um, so I, one of the things I do when, it, when I talk about going back to basics, I give the paper back. I said, I'll say, read it slowly and tell me, is your grammar perfect? And grammar is like kind of a four-letter word. I don't know when that happened. Um, I think it's because, you know, for so long people just, you know, taught uh, almost grammar translation method, but it's almost like nobody cares about grammar anymore. And if the lesson's not fun, it's not a good lesson and parents won't pay. So it, it's just going back to proofreading your work and finding your simple mistakes. That's what I do is I hand it right back and I say, you can give this to me when there's no mistakes. And they usually find four or five mistakes. Mm, okay. So, you know, when it comes to, I now again, every center, every, uh, what is it? Every IELTS examining center, you know, you have the examiners, the Cambridge and whatnot. How critical – you, you know what I mean? Like if you leave that leave out that verb to be or if you add an S on, a, on an uncountable noun or just the littlest things because I've talked about like writing assessments, speaking assessments and whatnot. They make all the difference in the world. So let's say – Hypothetically speaking, one of your students uh, has 10 little like minor errors. How much can that ultimately drop the score? Excellent question. Um, what's interesting is I, I have I – have that's a great question actually. I have a lot of experience. I have a master's degree. I have these fancy you know, Cambridge certificates and all that stuff. I've never been an IELTS examiner myself. Um, in a past life, I was kind of an important guy. I was a deputy principal of a very big school, and um, 
we had a lot of money to recruit whoever we wanted. We were recruiting physics teachers, chemistry teachers, and we could recruit pretty much any English teacher on the planet with our um, contract and our, our compensation. And I recruited a few IELTS examiners. And to their credit, they were very uh, honest to their um, contract with IELTS where they didn't give me any inside information. But what I would do is I would always slip in essays that were written by me um, to see what kind of grade they'd give just to get like some type of feedback cycle. And this one gentleman used to always look at me and say, hey, this is a seven. I go, why? He goes, no mistakes. He didn't talk about, you know, big words. He didn't talk about idiomatic usage. He didn't talk about complex structures. He said, oh, this student made no mistakes. And I would start making simple mistakes and he would start putting that essay down around like a five. So my anecdotal evidence is that it really, really matters. My non-examiner opinion. Wow, that's amazing. That's that's your essay that you gave to him to correct it everything. That oh man, so it means all the difference in the world. Like I don't yeah, yeah I've read some of them. He um, didn't know it was mine because Oh, right, right, yeah, right. He right, didn't right. know it was mine. Okay, okay, you know, okay, I was okay. the boss. He might not tell me the truth, whatever. So I would just slip it in. I'd put the name like Medina. i put a girl's name. Just <laughs> in the essay. Yeah, he yeah. would always work for um, dramatical actors. Right, right. Oh, man, that's interesting. Um, man, I'm going to have to do that one time too. Uh, because I've seen, of course, a lot of things that yeah. they've – Ended up, uh, what is it? They correct some of the things on the back of some of the, what is it? I don't know. The, all these IELTS books, you can find them everywhere. And so they have some books where the examiners actually go, you know, they give their honest opinion about it. And honestly, I don't remember seeing eights, but, you know, you, you know, it's just, I don't know how they grade. So there are times where I say, man, I should probably have my grade, but that would be just completely demoralizing. So what is, what, what is something that, what I've done, and I've done some of this, I'd say, reasonable is I tell them to check their grammatical accuracy. One paragraph, one idea. You know, I do teach topics, I do teach supporting sentences, but sometimes they just get out of control and throw a bunch of different ideas for a paragraph. So I break it down for that. I want actor. I want one paragraph, one idea. Uh, and then if it's part one, I want to see overall trend. If it's uh, part two, making sure that they actually answer the question. Um, a lot of IELTS questions have two questions in them. You know, a problem-solution essay may ask you for what are the causes and the solutions. And these kids will just go right to writing the solutions, but they forget about the cause. So um, I keep it real simple. I keep it um, accurate grammar, um, one paragraph, one idea. Uh, make sure you write an overview. Make sure you do most noticeable trends or most noticeable whatever, however you want to call it. Did you tell me about the thing that you first see when you see that diagram, when you see that graph. And um, I don't get too complex with them. I find that if you keep it simple and you do a lot of peer editing, 
their their writing will improve. And I also tend to not give them a number. They beg me for a number. Um, they, they ask me for a number. I'll say, no, I'm just going to give you feedback. You know, uh, did I get a seven, Mr. Nathan? All grammar errors. Go address that first. So, <laughs> and they trust me at this point because I have some experience in this. So really, I just try to keep it simple. Okay. Okay. So when it comes to uh, paragraph structure, just like real quick, because I've heard a lot of different things out there, you know, some of the best language centers out here in Thailand and who people who I consider to be mentors, they've helped me so much. And, you know, some guys say five paragraph writing task two, some guys say four paragraph writing task two, uh, others say three paragraph writing task one, four paragraph writing task one. So what do you normally have your students do? Um, that's a great question. Again, um, I sometimes will, I, I'm kind of careful to give like a template or to say, careful to say, this is right. This is wrong. I say, this is just how I teach it, you know, because it's almost like students will ask mom and they'll go ask dad and they'll get mixed messages and then it'll, it'll turn into a mess. I just keep it like, did you convey the message? Did you convey the message? Did you answer the question? How many paragraphs did you need to answer the question? Writing past two, I think it takes four to five. Um, again, I'll reference back to a problem solution essay. You got an introduction, you're gonna talk about the problems, you're gonna talk about the solutions, and you're gonna have a conclusion. That'll probably take you a minimum of four paragraphs. Yes. Um, if you're gonna write a paragraph with one problem and one solution, great. If you're gonna write a paragraph with a, with a, with a two or three problems and two or three solutions, that's fine. Just make sure that if you have one paragraph, that that follows a topic sentence. Um, the kids will get off track of the topic sentence. They'll have a topic sentence. The supporting sentence will be something completely different. So I just try to keep them, you know, hey, this, this, this topic sentence is controlling your idea. So make sure you continue that throughout the paragraph. If you have to start a new idea, start a new paragraph. I like that, man. I like that a lot. So, I mean, if we talk about solutions, the thing is with some students, again, like you just mentioned, um, they don't stay on topic with it. So let's say, let's say paragraph, whatever, they talk about their solution. They break it, break it down, of course, in the topic sentence. Um, but they could, instead of focusing just on that topic, they kind of veer off and go to something that kind of relates to it, but they're not sure if they should have it in their paragraph. It's just... It's so confusing, you know what I mean? So, again, what's your what about the opinion? Now, with the opinion, some teachers, of course, out here, they say, put your opinion at the end of the second to the last paragraph before you give a summary. Well, it's interesting. I think the IELTS gods out there, the people who ever make it, I think they gave us a guide. And they did give us a, I think, one of the things I'm always shocked about is how um, I'll meet students who've never seen the rubric and a teacher never presented them with the rubric. I mean, that's, whether than what Nathan says, whether than what Arsenio says, whether than what's a center that's commercial and trying to make money, the public rubric is there for a reason. And I'm fairly certain in task achievement in the rubric, it says your position is clear throughout. So that means your position should be clear throughout. Your position should be present in each paragraph. 
you should always be trying to convey the message there. So if you're writing an opinion essay, we need to know your opinion from the introduction, from the second paragraph, the third paragraph, and the conclusion. I mean, I don't have the rubric in front of me, but I'm almost certain it says that there's a clear position throughout. So that's the answer to that. You're always trying to support your position. And so let's see that in every paragraph. Okay. All right. And the last one, last thing I ask you, of course, actionable steps for everyone out there with the subject to verb agreement. I don't know if there are some things that you recommend your students in terms of going back to, you know, hey, okay, simple sentences. uh, What is it? Compound, complex, whatever. What are three things you have them do? Again, you talked about them proofreading it themselves, checking their own grammatical errors. But what can someone do in terms of writing? where they could just get a jump start right now? Sure. That's a great question. Um, it may be counterintuitive. I think one of the problems is that a lot of students will come to me and they'll say, I only need to work skill. And I think, again, this is institutional inbreeding. that just killed the industry. Um, if you're reading, you're working on your writing. Um, if you read extensively you especially newspapers especially um, articles this is correct english usage so then you're seeing many examples of how to use things in context you're kind of immersing yourself in the correct use of subject verb agreement so i say students every time that you read you're writing because you're you're seeing the language used correctly. I don't like to use the term native speaker, but you're seeing the term, you're seeing the language used correctly by someone who has a mastery of the language, by someone who's been edited. So I think, you know, editorials are great. I, I, I encourage students to read the opinion page of my newspaper, the New York Times. Maybe that's kind of, if that's high level for them, um, even something like The Guardian has some uh, opinion type articles that are graded. So it's, it's, it's for a, a lower level audience. So I do peer editing. I tell students to read a lot. Um, and when they read, they should kind of activate themselves to notice. Write down, oh, this is interesting. Notice how this author used relative clauses. Again, complex grammar doesn't necessarily mean you're using present perfect continuous or you're using you know, future continuous. Relative clauses are complex. It's a complex sentence if you use a relative clause. So I, I have students noted that. The third thing particular to writing is I, I actually have them write and then rewrite. And also, how can I say this? I have them write a plan and then don't write. Just write a plan, um, work out the advantages, work out the disadvantages, and then provide examples, and then stop. Don't get into the writing. Because a lot of times they just go right into writing, and they don't have a plan. So I tell them to, hey, figure out a controversial issue, figure out your opinion, and then give some examples, and then stop, let it percolate, and then write later. Don't just jump into it. Those are the three things that I recommend. Man, that's awesome, man. Thank you so much. I can attest to that, too, because when I started doing a lot of reading, uh, different authors, right? So Napoleon Hill, uh, in terms of personal development, his writing stems back 80 years. So you won't see that type of writing as often as you would in today, you know, in today's world and whatnot. Um, Lisa Nichols, she was a little bit uh, different, or maybe her ghostwriter or her editor, whoever that was, uh, her writing was much different. Jack Canfield... 
he followed a similar trend in terms of using on the other hand. However, on the other hand, however, you almost see it on every principle he has in his book. So, man, honestly, with that reading, yes, you are writing. And honestly, without reading, I mean, who knows where I would be in terms of my writing right now. Because, of course, what, back in 2014, I wasn't doing that much writing. I wasn't a blogger. I wasn't doing this or that until a couple of guys said, hey, your writing is Whoa, you do this now. You do that now. How'd you do that? And I'm like, well, I do a lot of reading. <laughs> and relative clauses, man, they are yeah, exactly. fantastic. So, yeah. All right. Exactly. exactly. And for me, I learned that, you know, I'm a student of the Kazakh language. I'm a student of the Russian language. When I read a lot, I notice things. And then I try to incorporate that into my usage. So um, the skills are separate, but they're not so separate. You know, skills support each other. Right. Perfect. Yep, there it is, guys. So, guys, I hope you could take back some things again. Uh, Nathan dropped some great actionable steps for you guys on here. Again, uh, What is it, Nathan? I'll probably, what is it, share it over there and over here, and you guys will know where he is and ask any questions if you have any questions for Nathan. But, man, again, man, thanks for taking time out of your afternoon to come on and have a nice little chat about writing. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. As I've told you before, I love your enthusiasm. It's infectious. So I'm always thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. And guys, if you're listening to me on the podcast, again, if you guys have any questions, you know how to get in contact with me. Hopefully you're following the Facebook page and whatnot. And again, Nathan, much appreciation. So guys, stay tuned for the next podcast. Stay tuned next. We'll stay tuned. Stay tuned for the next. There we go. Okay, I, I missed my preposition. Stay tuned for the next Be Live video. I'll probably, I'll, man, I will probably bring Nathan on in the future. So, guys, stay tuned. And uh, that's it, man. I've stumbled over my words. I'm done. So, guys, stay tuned for more. I'm your host, Arsenio, as usual, over and out.